Hi, my name is Kathy Collins, and I'll be co-hosting Airing Addiction with Lisa Blanchard. No one story is is the same as someone else's, but each journey is different. Same thing on the table. Having run substance use treatment programs for over 20 years, trying to make sure that we are welcoming to I love the idea that kind of having that exposure and that affirming place, even for one person, impacts that milieu, which then can impact maybe the broader recovery community, the community at large. I mean, I really love that. Um, Good morning. Welcome to Airing Addiction. My name is Kathy Collins and I'm here with Lisa Blanchard, my uh, co-host for this episode, and we're happy to have you. I will hand it over to Lisa. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so we're really excited to have our guest with us today, um, Eric Dyer, who um, is going to be here to talk a little bit about um, his his own story of recovery, but also take the opportunity for us to talk about the fact that, you know, it's now December and we, you know, are in the midst of the holidays and how to navigate the holidays a bit. Um, you know, with your family and with your loved ones. So um, welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you both very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about recovery. Wonderful. We, we, what we typically like to do is start and maybe ask you how comfortable you are sharing a bit of your story, how you got into recovery. And we know it's a family disease. We, I happen to personally know your family and I'm so grateful for that because it's an inspiring family around the um, terms of recovery, but if you wouldn't mind sharing your story, how you got here, that would be great. Absolutely. So as Kathy says, there's a few of us in my family in recovery. Um, amazingly, and I think it's also very um, it's like representative of the world of recovery is that we all have like incredibly different stories. We have lived in different places, have got to this in like a different way. So my story is I essentially grew up in the uh, suburbs of Boston unlike my dad who like grew up more in the city of Boston. And in growing up in the suburbs, had like a great life, great family, great parents, like everything I could ever ask for, played sports, mostly hockey and lacrosse, um, had a great group of friends. Um, but at a relatively young age, I enjoyed smoking pot. And as soon as I started smoking pot at the age of like 12, 13, that's just what I wanted to do all the time. And I was always warned by my dad, like, Eric, you shouldn't drink. I'm an alcoholic, which means that when I drink, I have an allergy. And that allergy means I break out in handcuffs every time I drink. <laughs> so, Eric, you shouldn't drink. So I said, okay, fine. I won't drink. I'll smoke pot. I smoked pot for a few years. And my experience with pot was that it lowered my inhibitions and it made me want to do other things when I smoked pot. So eventually I drank. I had a lot of fun drinking despite like blacking out and drinking too much and getting sick. I always had that feeling of like, I'll never drink again in the morning. But hours later, I was like, I guess I could try it again differently. That led to cocaine and some other drugs. And eventually it led to painkillers. And by the time I was 21, I was um, going into my senior year of college at Union. And it was over, it was that summer, going into that summer. And I was living for maybe 48 hours with my girlfriend at the time. And I was using a lot of painkillers at a lot of time, a lot of oxy oxycodone, oxycodone, whatever it was at the time. And I would always say things like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to stop. And on my 21st birthday, I came home that day 
uh, to our, like our off-campus house. And I said, this is like the last one I'm going to do it. I bought, I have enough stuff to get me through the weekend, which coincidentally was my sister's wedding on mm. Cape Cod that weekend. And I showed my girlfriend the bag and I said, like, this will be enough. It was probably like a thousand dollars worth of pills. Um, this will be enough to win me off. And she was like, I know exactly how to help you and help wean you off. Let me, let me see the pills. And like, this is from a caring, loving person who was essentially pre-med at the time about to go to med school. So she like had all, I thought in my mind, all the tools and all the, these things. So she takes the pills and I'm like waiting for like the secret way that she's going to wean me off. And she goes in the other room with the pills and I hear the toilet flush. <laughs> and that was the reaction I get in a treatment center when I tell that story is hilarious because these people, I think, want to kill my girlfriend when they, when they hear that story. <laughs> but in any event, um, that led to her contacting my parents and I, I got in to my first detox after that. Um, the next few months, I was detox, outpatient, trying different things. And eventually I wound up at Gosnold. Uh, met a guy there who was working there named Christoph, who just changed the game for me. Mm. And um, that's when I was 21. And since then, um, I've been clean and sober. So that was 2011. Um, the early struggles for me, a lot of that was like, can I smoke pot? Can I drink, even though I like opiates? Um, and that's really what, um, like early on, was tough for me. But eventually through being around the right people and having like a family and recovery and seeing them as an example and offering hope, it really allowed me to, to recognize um, through a lot of help of other people that this was going to be like the easier, softer way for me. And there was going to be so many opportunities if I continued down the path. And now I get to do fun stuff like this and I'm sitting here on this podcast. So that is my story in a nutshell. Thanks so much, Eric. One of the things that, um, you know, strikes me when the very beginning of your story, you know, you shared that, um, you know, all, all of the members of your family that are in recovery have a different story. And it reminds me of the quote that I actually will give credit to Sarah Wakeman, who we had on just a couple of podcasts ago, um, you know, that there's no kind of one way in and no one way out, right? So that everybody's um, recovery story is is different, right? And I recall, you know, your father's story, um, which is also a very powerful one, a really excellent um, recovery story. But it's a very different story, um, you know, than than yours. And I and I just think that's why it's so important for us to share recovery stories, right? Because everybody's is so different, and there's not one path into addiction, and not one path, um, you know, out of of addiction. So. Um, you know, I really appreciate that perspective. What it, what your story, the first thing that caught my attention with it is, you know, because nowadays there's so much talk about um, marijuana legalization and people always say, oh, it's not the gateway drug, it's not the gateway drug. But in my opinion, I just heard you, mm. it started and yet then, you know, I'm never going to do anything but smoke pot, smoke pot, smoke pot. And then it led to your inhibitions were down, then drinking suddenly was okay. I wonder what your thoughts are around that as just a person in recovery. I happen to be in recovery also, so I have my own opinion on it, but I, it's just an opinion. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, so my my unmedical, unscientific opinion, speaking from the perspective of someone in recovery and a lawyer, so what I'm, half of what I say is BS, right? <laughs> um, I I strongly believe that there is 
anywhere between about 10% of the population that has um, this, uh, um, like, I guess, di disease of addiction, right? Where when I consume drugs and alcohol, I'm incapable of stopping on my own. And so I have this 10% of the population that has that. If, if they smoke marijuana, like that, it, they inevitably are going to go down that path. I think they probably would have anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly gets, gets you further down that, that path quickly because I always found it was easier to access pot than it was to access uh, booze and other drugs. Uh, but where I see the problem is then above that, there's another um, 10 to maybe 20%. I would probably say closer to 10% who like is on the borderline. Like, I don't know if they would ever necessarily um, cross that line into addiction where I view as like, mm -hmm. it's really tough to turn back because my experience with addiction is once I had that experience with drugs and alcohol, the idea of controlling drugs or alcohol to me wasn't appealing. So even if you told me today, Eric, once a month, right? Uh -huh. You can go out and drink. The other 29 days, I would just think about that one other day to go drink, right? And mm -hmm. I know that to be true because I can't even eat ice cream once a month, right? Without thinking about <laughs> it for the whole month. So it's like, imagine what a substance that is addicting will do to me. So I think with marijuana, the overwhelming majority of the population is not going to get addicted to it. It's not going to become a problem for it. But if you're going to take steps like we've done um, in many states to legalize marijuana, the money that is used for that, the taxpayer dollars, has to be uh, like, like funneled into treating that 10 to 20% of the population who is mm. going to be adversely affected by it. Because, I mean, everything has trade-offs, right? And one of the trade-offs here is that there will be an exposure to another portion of the population now that may or may not have become addicted. And so that's, that's really my concern with it. I think that anytime you talk about the marijuana stuff, the tough part is like the criminal justice side of it too, like balancing that out. So yeah. that's why I've always struggled with the issue. But ultimately, I think you do now have a portion of the population that may be put on the pathway to addiction that may not have been. Um, so, but again, I would say this too, be being addicted, having the disease of addiction, being a drug addict and alcoholic, whatever language you want to use to describe it is not the worst thing in the world. You know, it's like, I'm grateful that that happened to me today, right? Like I, I wouldn't be where I am today if that didn't happen to me. It, the adversity that that put in my life, like made me the person I am. It makes me appreciate life in a way that I never would have before. So. I love that perspective, yeah. right? That's part of your journey to get where right. you are today and that you wouldn't necessarily change that. Um, you know, so I think that's just such a, a you know, positive example, especially for somebody who, um, you know, may be working towards that recovery path or in early recovery or just striving for that to, to kind of hear um, that that's helped make you the person you are now. And you view that in a, in a really positive way instead of like, I'm not going to talk about this part of my life. This is a chapter I won't talk about. Um, and the, the other, um, you know, thought I had related to your perspective on marijuana is just how challenging that is like we don't know who that 10 to 20 percent in your yeah. in your words is right we know that there's factors um, that likely are at play we know there's genetics predisposition situational environment you know um you know personality factors there's lots of factors that might 
put you in that kind of, you know, percentage, but we don't know for sure um, who is going to go down that path or not. There's no test you can take, right? right? There's no like screening that you can do before you smoke a joint for the first time, whether that's going to be a gateway for you or not. Um, You know, and so one of the things that I really strongly encourage people to do is to just delay that, um, Mm. you know, as much as as you can, like delay alcohol, delay marijuana until you're, uh, you know, older or in a place like there's brain development pieces that will be helped by that in general anyway. Um, But till you kind of have a better understanding of the fact that this could be a path you could go down so you could recognize it potentially sooner, right? And reduce the impact if that's the case. Absolutely. Um, which, <clears throat> a little sidebar here, different than the marijuana piece, but since it is the holidays, <clears throat> I'm wondering if you can sort of share with us your recollection of maybe your life. Hol- holidays are starting. Tonight's the first night of Hanukkah. Uh, we're heading into what the recovery community says, I think the trifecta of holidays, yeah. you know, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, the whole gambit, um, how your life was pre-recovery compared to like now, how you look for, granted, we're in COVID, so looking forward to holidays is completely different, but how you view the holidays in general and like sort of what your plan is to stay safe. Right, right. Well, um, well, first, happy Hanukkah to everyone celebrating Hanukkah. We celebrate Hanukkah, very excited for it. Um well, I can say this just to make a perfect segue from the marijuana prior to recovery, every holiday, like waking up, smoking pot. So I'd eat the food, be excited, all those things towards the end. Um, especially with the opiates, there was a lot more isolation. Like I wouldn't even know it was a holiday, wasn't present. And the first holiday I had sober, I was in treatment. And while in treatment, um, it was Thanksgiving. I was at Gauls and all that. I remember thinking like, what? is my family going to do without me being at the Thanksgiving table? And like, it was probably my mom or my dad, potentially he's very, he's very straightforward with this stuff. And it's like, Eric, you'll be fine. You like, you, you will not be missed in the sense that like, we are grateful to have you in a treatment center right now. just stay put. And like, mm-hmm. that is our gift this holiday season. And so my first uh, holiday sober was in treatment Thanksgiving. Um, since that time, holidays have just gotten like better and better. Uh, I'm fortunate, as we've talked about, have multiple family members in recovery. Um, with our multiple pathways into recovery and um, our varying journeys of how we like got to the stage of recovery, uh, we also, I think, have different um, like ways we celebrate the holidays, which is really cool. So, um, like with my with my dad's family, we would always do like Christmas at one of his siblings' houses. And uh, that's always fun because then even more people get brought into the fold through in recovery because again, many people in our family uh, in recovery with the, with the alcoholism stuff going on. Um, and then there's like the piece with um, my mom's side of the family, like doing Hanukkah and um, like with my wife and her family doing the Hanukkah stuff. And I think what has been so cool is like what, um, what I actually can like appreciate. So Um, like a lot of the times the holidays are centered around presents, right? And for for Hanukkah in in the spirit of Hanukkah, like we we don't, I don't think there's really a, there is a present thing, but I think that's more comes out of that Christmas, the kids growing up would get presents. So like to make it 
like so that we got presents too you get it also during hanukkah but it's not like a central theme but what i found through the central theme through these holidays at least now especially like as the years in recovery um go on is like getting to be around family getting to have like food around family and like those to me are like gifts and opportunities like i can really appreciate today because i'm present like i didn't have that before so even if you gave me when i was like like drinking and drugging like an xbox right like i couldn't even appreciate that let alone appreciate like the time with family to like mm. whether it's like sitting around the table or hanging out on the couch like watching football or whatever it is like, i couldn't appreciate those things like i can appreciate these things today like the quality time with people that i love and love me and like that's an amazing thing and while the whole covid thing goes on what what i really um mm. I, I had a conversation recently about this what I really try to keep in mind is like um, keeping a mindset of like, I get to celebrate Hanukkah this way under COVID. Like I get to have a Thanksgiving with only four people at the dinner table this year. Mm -hmm. Like I get to do these things because COVID or no COVID, at least in my experience, it's like when I was addicted to drugs and alcohol, like there was no freedom there. Like I didn't get to do anything. I had to do things. And like today I get, I get to do these things. And so they're all blessings. Like it's all a privilege. It's all something I really try to stay grateful for and appreciate. And it would be much easier to be like, oh, I can't be with all these people because I want to be and every, you know, for the holidays. But like it's the set. Someone used to always say to me, it's like the set of cards you are dealt. Like that's what you got to play. And like this is the set of cards. And so I, I really try to look at these as opportunities of things I like get to do. I get to experience a crazy time in human history. Mm -hmm. And um, I try to make the best of it. So. so the thing that I've heard you say a couple of times um, is um, one of the gifts that sounds like recovery has given you is the ability to be present, right? To be kind of here in the moment, not worrying about kind of the next thing you're going to do or things that you've done in the past, you know, kind of staying here and present in the moment and being able, um, you know, to, to really appreciate that, which has changed you know, the, the holidays for you. Um, and I just really, I think that's something that we all need to, to focus on kind of regardless of our own journeys or, or pathways um, is, is that privilege, um, you know, that, that you, that you talked about in that um, appreciation and gratitude for um, even, even being able to be present in the middle of a pandemic, right? Like you're going mm -hmm. to remember this time because you're present for it. Right. Um, where there have been times in your life, um, you know, pre-recovery where you probably weren't as as present um, or aware. So I I think that's just such a positive way to, to talk about what we're all going through right now. Mm. And when I hear you talk about how fortunate you are that you get to, you know, we get to live this life that we have and we're making the most of it now. I, I can't help but think about your dad and your mom, how what a gift you're giving them by working on your recovery because like my heart was like so touched hearing that you get to go to you know your mom lived it and saw you and siblings suffer through addiction just the gift she would want no other present i have no doubt that than just for right. you to work on your recovery forever and your girlfriend who i assume is now your wife the one that saved your life that is true i usually tie that together mm -hmm. forgot you to did, do that but here. i'm so grateful but yeah she is me, now my wife she saved your life and yeah. you kept her because you knew what was happening. I mean, clearly the story about the toilet flushing just sends me over the edge. Yeah. <laughs> like 
like everybody else who is in, in recovery. Um, yeah. But she saved her life. She clearly knew yeah. what she was doing. And oh my gosh, between her and your family, I think they get to experience the real Eric Dyer. And it's such a mm. gift. I mean, that story was, it gives me chills to hear the toilet. Right. <laughs> What's, what I find to be so amazing is like, there were holidays, undoubtedly, where I would wake up with no freedom in my life. Because the first thing I'm thinking about is like, how can I get what I need to either sell or the, or have money, find money, get a present, sell the present, whatever it was, so I could get what I need so I wouldn't be sick that day. And like, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, I'm not, there's no thinking about like, how can I contribute to my family's Thanksgiving this year? Like, how can, can I help make something? Can I help pick something up? Like, how can I, how can I call someone today to check and say, well, like, I'm not, it's just like me, me, me. And like, how do I not be sick today? And like, it's the, the, the difference today is remarkable. And like what, what, one of the significant pieces of Hanukkah in particular, right. It's for those who aren't familiar with it, you're lighting candles every night. Mm -hmm. um, and what, one of the things that's like taught to us, which is, which I've always tried to carry into my recovery um, is that like in lighting the candles, you're bringing like light into the darkness. So you light the candles at night to bring like light into this like dark space um, and not too late so that everyone can still see like the light and the, ca the candles. Um, and I really try to think about my recovery that way too. It's like, I, I'm trying to bring light where there's darkness. Like that yeah. is a purpose that I didn't have before. Like I was in the darkness, I was consumed by it. And so today it's, it's really that I get to be, um, or at least I get to try my best to be um, someone who can bring like light into dark situations. And like, that's just, so even pieces like that about appreciating like Hanukkah for that reason, like these aren't even things that would cross my mind, you know, like 10 years ago, like not, they not, it wouldn't even come close. No. So one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is obviously hearing everybody's stories, but there's always like something someone says in this podcast that kind of sticks with me kind of, um, you know, forever. And, and I think that what you just said is going to be the, is one of the things that sticks with me, right? That, that recovery, um, you know, it, one way to look at recovery is that it's a light in, in the darkness, right? And that sharing that recovery story can be the light in someone else's darkness. And um, I just, that, that's really going to stick with me. So thank you for that. Yeah, and what I, I think it's beautiful too, the depiction of the candles and the lighting, that you're lighting it when people can still see it. So you're not waiting until it's pitch black and you're, um, it's sort of like you can intervene before we're, if we're too far along, we can still see the light. And, and I always say there is hope, even if, if someone's breathing, there's hope. And you haven't used the word hope, but that's all I've heard is, and, and I feel you're, you're giving such a sense of hope. And I, I, I just wish every person who was struggling with feeling fortunate, like during these tough times, it's hard to feel fortunate. A lot of people are struggling to put uh, food on the table. And, um, but I feel like you're giving everyone a sense of, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in recovery or not, you can be grateful for breathing today or mm. for having a piece of equipment that you can hear this podcast on you know there's a there are just so much so many things that i can latch on to that you said that give me hope 
um, because it's easy, you know, easy to get angry at the world that's not like doing what we want it to do. Um, but you are sending light out. That's what I hear from you. Like, I don't, I don't even know if I would imagine the people in your life and your wife sees it because you were probably just not very lit up, but it comes through you. That's I, how I see it. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think it's something that's like contagious in the recovery community. Like I see it um, when I'm with all these people like yourself, like I've, no, I've known you for years. Like you see it in someone's like eyes, like this, like this, like that light that comes in the darkness, this like energy that I think is incredible that um, I think is very, um, it's, it's actually not just unique to the people in recovery because a lot of what I've learned, um, especially over the last few years, because I've found that years like, um, seven to nine right now, or like six to nine right now, like have had their own challenges that are, are very unique compared to um, some of the beginning challenges in recovery. Um, I've gotten a lot out of people who aren't in recovery, but who have this sense of um, gratitude that you're talking about in this like spiritual mindset that I found mm -hmm. to be like incredibly helpful because they're doing exactly what you're talking about, which is like, they try to bring this energy and this like light forward and to like go off, um, what you're saying about hope. So as part of the Hanukkah story, part of the story is that um, they need oil to burn the candles each night. And so like the story of Hanukkah begins with, they only have enough oil for the first night of Hanukkah. Like they're not gonna be able to get through all eight nights. And so like, how is this gonna work? Like they don't have enough oil. And what the miracle of Hanukkah, one of the miracles of Hanukkah is that they were able to get yeah, that one night of oil, all they had to last all eight nights. So it's like seen as it's viewed as this miracle and this sense of hope. Huh. Cause like it did all work out. Like there was like a miracle behind this whole thing. Like, and so I see that similar to like recovery huh. in that, like for all of the people in recovery that get to bring light into this, like in, into whatever like dark space they're in or the people around them are in, like, it's truly like a miracle. Like each person in recovery, I view as like their, whether it's hours, minutes, hours, or days. Cause I always said that, like for me to get half a day was a big deal in the beginning. Yeah. It, it truly was all miracles. So I agree. And I love that thought and how, you know, I mean, just with, with classic kind of recovery, you know, let's just get through today. Right. So that, that day of, of, of oil for the first night of, okay. of Hanukkah, if you can get through that day, then you somehow have enough to get yes. through the next day yeah. and the next day and the next day. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. So to shift gears just a little bit, it sounds, um, it just sounds so wonderful to hear you talk about your family, your family with multiple folks in recovery and um, how holidays are different and how supportive they are. So I think you're really fortunate and, I, and it clearly shows that you, that you know that. So we, we might have some family members listening now that have loved ones that are either in early recovery or in recovery that would just love to hear how, how they can help structure holidays. How can they support their family member, um, you know, who's in recovery during, you know, either regular holiday celebrations or whatever way we can try to, to celebrate now? Like, what are the things that your family is able to do to, to help you feel supported in that time? The e I mean, the easy practical suggestion is don't offer them a drink, right? <laughs> I was like, it's and it's funny because it's like I was I'm so 
I was so fortunate to come back to a home after treatment where like that wasn't even like no one was like, oh, he was addicted to opiates. Like he can drink, right? Like he can have mm -hmm. a beer. That's going to be okay. Like it wasn't, that wasn't on anyone's radar. Um, but in, in truth, I, I don't think that that's like a fact that a lot of people just like know right off the bat, because I think there's this idea of like, well, aren't, aren't they better now? Okay. Right. And like recovery is a journey. Like, so I don't view it as like a cure and like, you're all good and just move on with your life. Um, so that's always like a, a, a practical suggestion I always give to people. Um, but like big picture, I found that what like my family did is that they were just very like supportive and loving. And I don't think that there's any special equation because like, so now there's, it, let's say there's four of us in the same room at a holiday party in my family who are all in recovery. Uh -huh. Um, our programs of recovery are much different. Our needs are much different. What makes us comfortable is much different. So you like, I would still tailor it like to that, to the individual and like what I know they need. So like, I know for some people in my family, like what might be best is that like, they always have, they're always comfortable having an out. Like they always have an ability without feeling pressure to be like, okay, I've spent my one hour here. I now have permission from everyone to leave and that's okay. Right. Like, so that's, that's one thing. Whereas there might be other people who it's like, you know what, we like really shouldn't have booze around. Right. Like, even though there might still be people who drink, like I, I personally get the, the booze thing is not something that's like a huge deal for me, but that that's, again, that's like my journey in recovering where I'm at. Um, so like that, that could be one factor. Um, another could be, and I've actually, I think this practical suggestion, at least for me, has always been helpful. Like always having um, non-alcoholic beverages like available, like to have in your hand. I've always, I, I mean, I was sober my senior year of college. And so I've been in a lot of environment and then like did law school with a lot of drinking. So I've always been around it. So I've always had to have like mechanisms to be comfortable. And so I think, again, it's like, it's really for, even though we're all in the same family, it's like really individual how we all, kind of deal with the whole recovery thing. And so I think it might be as simple as just asking like, Hey, well, what could we do? Pull someone aside. What could we do to make this like a more comfortable experience for you? Because what I've found time after time, like the normal drinkers, right. They don't really care at all, whether or not you're drinking, nor do they care if they can or can't drink like a lot of them. Like it's not like a, a primary concern for them. So, um, People tend to, at least in my family and outside my family, people have been always like very amenable to whatever has been thrown out there. Uh -huh. So do you recommend, you know, I think people are kind of afraid to have that conversation, right? That you, that you have, that you ask somebody because it's not a one size fits all. What one person's comfortable with is going to be different than what another person's comfortable with, you know, and might be different depending on where they are in their recovery journey. Um, but kind of being open enough to have that conversation. Like what's going to make this more comfortable for you? What do you need from us to feel supported at this time? Kind of having that conversation. That, well, here's what I'd say. Someone with, especially in their first year of sobriety, you are in a lose-lose situation in that if you say, Hey, can we have this conversation? They're going to be, Oh, see, it's like, it's always about me. Like I, I like, they're like, they're worried about me. They don't trust me. But then if you don't have the conversation, it's so they didn't even think about me. Like they didn't even <laughs> want to have the conversation. So you can't, you can't really win. That's been my experience. That's 
100% how I was. Um, I always joke with, with my wife and other people in my family. Like, I think in my first year of recovery, um, I wouldn't have been surprised if my wife for a little bit just left me because all I did was talk <laughs> about like recovery and my recovery and this and that and this thing, right? Um, but in any event, that, that, so I view that as like, you might as well then just try to have the conversation. Like it, it, it is better than not having it and having expectations. I've always found that one of the biggest issues that comes up, um, whether it was early recovery for me or later recovery, is the gap between um, my expectations and reality. Like that, the wider that gap, the more trouble I'm probably going to get it in my head. So I really think the easiest way is to try directly with the person to try to figure out. I, I usually have the conversation one-on-one. -on -one. That's probably makes it easier, but that's what I'd, um, I'd say. That brings me to the question, which we haven't tapped into yet, but you are a professional. You're a professional attorney. You have been for years. What about the office party? I mean, I know that's not happening this year, but in your past, you've experienced the, we've got to take out the so-and-sos or the, I mean, that's a big deal, the office party. How do we handle that? I mean, do, does your, did they, I mean, probably now everyone, because you're in this industry too, everyone probably knows that this is part of you, your part in recovery, but what about in general? Like, how do you feel about the office party? <laughs> um. I'll start with giving some background. I was at a, a bigger law firm for a few years and their um, retreat that we would do most years was at a casino for the weekend. And so there's obviously a lot of drinking that goes along with that just entire scene. And from a, from a personal standpoint, uh, and this is, I just think, um, a function of where, where I was at and where I am now in recovery, the question that I always ask is like, what can I bring to the table? Not what can I take? That's what I try to ask. So I'm not really thinking as much about the drinking and drugging. That's not like a concern, but that's where I'm at now, like years down the road, being comfortable with the situation, using some things like I talked to before, like always having like a drink in my hand, like a, a non-alcoholic drink in my hand at all times. I'll just make it easier. So you don't have to deal with like, come on, Eric. Cause especially being younger, people are like, come on, have a drink. Like, Eric, you're fun. You talk a lot. You'll have a good time. And like, no, I'm good. I don't drink. And then you have to have the whole, the whole conversation, which I don't mind having, but it's like, usually when people are drinking and at a kiss, like, that's not the place to have the, the conversation at, at, there. Yeah, at midnight. Right. Um, so I think personally for me, the question is like, well, what can I bring to the table? If I was earlier in recovery, the, some of the best advice I got is what I said before about uh, like Eric always have an out like always have an ability to get out of the situation whether that is like you have your car keys because you have a car whether you have like an uber lined up um, whether you know when you have a set time to like go back to your hotel room like always have a plan to get out because it's like not there's no reason to play around with it like there's no reason to go up into the edge and see how much uncomfortability and pain you can get to in these mm. situations and then like pull the parachute and get out. Like you don't have to do that. Um, so I, I think setting expectations ahead of time and understanding the reality of the situation are like two keys. So it's like knowing that um, as people say, like at, whether it's after midnight or after 10 PM, nothing good happens, right? It's like- That's our so, mom telling us that. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. Um, 
knowing those things and having like knowing what, what to expect in those situations. Like I know for me, like I'm not going to go to like the after after party. It's just not, a, it's not the place I, I can still keep my job and not do that. That's like how I, how I view uh-huh. it. So a lot of advanced planning. Like kind of always, always. How uh-huh. is going to happen, not just what's going to happen with the beginning part of the event, but then the after party and the after after party and having a solid plan for what parts of that are comfortable enough for you and when you're going to exit. Right. It's like going on a camping trip. Like be prepared, you know, don't just expect you're going to get out there and be okay. Like, no, you should probably bring a tent, a sleeping bag, maybe some food for a few days, hiking boots, like be ready to go. Don't just like run into this. Like, oh, we'll just see what happens. That's, that's spot on. Yeah. Be prepared. So what, what else, is there anything else that you haven't shared or things that we've missed that you would like to, to talk about? You know, anything else that, um, you know, either part of your recovery story, your family, you know, the holiday, any of the things we've talked about today that you would like to talk more about? Sure. Just um, one quick thing. So my, um, this ties in with the holidays and it ties in with spirituality and uh, religion, spirituality, two very different things. And like I said, my family members who are in recovery, we all very different pathways in recovery um we we all accept we all accept the general theme we all accept is like an abstinence-based model like none of us drink or drug in moderation in in our recovery um but our like how we stay sober is i think a little different for each one of us um and one of the big pieces is this um spirituality component which again i want to emphasize like different than religion like we can celebrate different religious holidays and our recovery is all similar still despite that um, but the spirituality piece is that like, um, I don't know how much my dad talked about it, but like, I, I would suspect if you ask my dad where he finds, um, like his light or like some sort of like power that helps him outside of himself, stay sober, he would, he would probably tell you he finds it in like nature in the woods, maybe fishing on a river, right? Like he loves that stuff. Right. Um, um, I'm more of like the four or five star hotel type of a guy. So I'm not <laughs> as comfortable in that situation. Um, so if any of my friends listen to this, for example, they would laugh that I made a camping and hiking reference. Um, <laughs> my brother, um, one of my, one of my brothers who's in recovery, um, he has taken, um, a more, um, his, his spiritual approach has taken on more religious components. So like his depth of knowledge in um, like Judaism in particular, like far exceeds mine. And he's made a real effort to learn a lot about it and incorporate those things into his recovery for how he finds that light, how he finds that outside power, something outside of himself to keep him sober. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I know um, like if you were to ask my sister, you did a similar thing, like her journey in recovery, which she's trying to find dramatically different than, um, my my dad or my brother and again like all three of them may even be doing different holidays maybe do all these different things um but their journey is much different in that sense and then for myself um i have found like um through finding um like light and finding a, a power outside myself to keep me sober like i found it through like a mix of different like learning and listening to different like um people teaching on like spiritual principles some like judaism stuff some stuff like completely outside of religion. Um, 
like through like podcasts or re- other other readings that have like truly really helped me certain routines um throughout the day that have really helped me connect and like see that power in my life and i say that to say we all have dramatically different ideas of what spirituality might look like what a holiday may look like like how you observe like a religious holiday which is different than spirituality and yet like we all for 24 hours a day can say clean and sober mm-hmm. you know so it's not like there's not like a cookie cutter way to find this, to, to find whatever it is that works for you. Like we each have something that works for us, for the individual. And even though it's different in that sense, we all get to then come to the table together and like share that light of recovery together and like have purpose in this world. So like I always, especially when we talk about religion or spirituality or holidays, like I like being able to share the fact that we're a family in recovery. And although we all share recovery, like we all have very different yeah. concepts of what that means. And like, that's, to me, that's a gift. Cause then you get to share it with each other. And like, you can take from other people too. You know, like my, my recovery today looks dramatically different than it did in the first three months, one year, two year, three mm. year, five years. So it's, it's constantly changing. Um, I love that so much because for anyone who is getting into recovery, who is frightened of the fact that there may be a spiritual component, you just laid it all out that, hey, not, nothing to fear. If you're satisfied in spending time hiking or fishing, have at it. The, if nature is your higher power, that's okay. And I think you laid it out. Everyone doesn't have to come in and say, God is great. Let's all sit down and uh, worship. I mean, it doesn't work that way. And that you laid it out beautifully, um, which um, I just love that. Um, but the question that it begs me that you, you do a lot of meditation and spiritual like podcasts, that sort of thing. Typically we like to ask our guests what your favorite books are, um, podcasts you'd recommend, something like that. And that leads me to ask, what were you thinking specifically when you had that thought just now? Yes, I will make one correction. I wish I could say I do a lot of meditation. <laughs> Someone very close to me meditates twice a day for 20 minutes. And I've always been so impressed. Like they're going on a, a silent retreat this week. And I always look at those things. I'm like, that is amazing. And then he suggests like, Eric, I think it'd be great for you to do something like this. And I always say like, I don't want to get that well. Like I'm well enough for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure uh, we could do it, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a, f- a few things. Um, and Kathy, I think we've actually talked about this off offline. Um, so coming into it as someone who's Jewish into recovery, there's components that are not Jewish, right? Like, uh-huh. like clearly in, in a lot of programs of recovery and groups you may go to. Um, so I found that Rabbi Chase Taub, who wrote a book, um, A God of Our Understanding, I believe that's the title, um, has some like incredible um, spiritual principles, principles in it, um, which is great if you're Jewish, especially because it ties into like, listen, if you're concerned about the spiritual components of certain um, recovery programs, like you don't have to be, here's why, here's where it comes from, here's what it's about, here's how it relates to Judaism. It also, even setting aside whether or not you're Jewish, is a great book because it lays out so much of the spiritual principles um, that you can learn about in like different recovery programs, which um, I've always found no matter what people's pathways are, like what, like no matter how they say like, oh, I do this type of recovery or that type of recovery, it all really boils down in my opinion to the same thing, which is like getting out of your own way. And 
um, he lays out a lot of these, like these are universal, universal principles that aren't like just, um, they, they aren't just reserved for like one type of recovery. Like they're, they're available for everyone. Um, so I really liked, um, reading his, like either listening to his like YouTube talks. Some of it aren't, aren't just on recovery. His recovery ones are what I, I really try to grab, um, are great. His book is great. Um, Rabbi, what is the name? If you can chase, I think S H A I S okay. and then Todd T A U B. Yep. I remember I did buy yeah. the book because I, yes, uh, yeah. I sponsored yeah, no, a few it's... people who are Jewish and I, who were struggling with the spirituality. So that, um, which also, I, I know I lost my train of thought for a second before I asked the podcast question, but it does sound like a component also of what you and all your family members do is giving back. Right. Um, and that's also part of the process. Yeah. And I, and I think so with like a book like that, for example, what, what I've found through that type of spiritual literature, or like other types of spiritual literature that like I'll focus on is like this idea that the greatest reward in life is like helping other people. And that is not, I, I, I learned about it through the program of recovery I went through, right? And that's like where people talk about it. It's like, oh, you got to like give it away, right? To keep it. And I'm like, this is a brilliant idea. Who came up with this? It's not like, that's not, it doesn't come from there, right? It's, it's really, it's a, univer it's, it's a universal truth that um, you can give me all of the material things in the world and I can have all the nice things in the world, but like, the um that void that all humans have I, I believe can only be filled with like love and tolerance of others and like helping other people and like giving yourself to other people so you have purpose and so books like that help me realize that right so it's like mm -hmm. and even for the people who might be listening who aren't in recovery but they have a loved one in recovery like i have found these things to be beneficial for all people because again they're like universal principles mm -hmm. to make you like a happier human being um so yeah and I think that's a, a perfect way to end this podcast, right? Because we've got a mix of folks that are listening, right? There's there's treating providers and allies, allies like myself. There's individuals in recovery. And these messages, um, you know, like some of, some of the, the longstanding messages, you know, don't just apply to people in, in recovery, right? They can apply to, to everyone, you know, on how, um, how we can kind of really just keep our peace right now, um, which is something we all need. And the other thing I just wanted to say um, is, you know, I, I love that sentiment. And I think as if people start to head into these holidays or have head out, headed out of Thanksgiving into Christmas, New Year's, all of Hanukkah, all of these, um, you know, times that people hold so much um, importance to is that despite, you know, all of our differences, you know, whether we're in recovery or not, or multiple people in recovery with very different pathways, we can all come together and celebrate recovery, um, you know, yeah. regardless of how we got there. And so I, I loved that too. So that's another thing that's going to, that's going to stick with me. Um, we really enjoyed having you on this morning, Eric. It's been, it's been great to hear from you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been great. Eric, we wish you a wonderful Hanukkah this season. I hope you and your wife yeah. enjoy the season. And um, thank you for being our guest. It was really terrific. Sure, thank you both very much. Thank Thanks. you so much.